This episode of the Fresh Start Family Show is brought to you by our Quick Start Learning Bundle, how to build a compassionate, firm, and kind discipline toolkit that works with kids of all ages. Head to freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash discipline to grab your Quick Start Bundle so you can get going today on building up a strong, compassionate, discipline toolkit in your home. Well, hey, families, I'm so excited that you are here for a new episode of the Fresh Start Family Show. I am your host, Wendy Snyder, positive parenting educator and family life coach. And today we have Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg on the show. Dr. Hirschberg is the author of the Tantrum Survival Guide, and she is going to be talking today about tantrums. And so I wanted to air this episode at this time of year because with the holiday season, there is often a lot of overstimulation and a lot of overcommitments, <laughs> and we have a tendency as parents to sometimes feel and be a little stressed out, and often it is a season where you might see more tantrums than you're used to. So I want you to feel empowered and creative and confident that you can handle them with grace and integrity. So let me tell you just a bit more about Dr. Hirschberg before we get going. So Dr. Hirschberg is a clinical psychologist who specializes in early childhood social emotional development and mental health, and she's the founder of Little House Calls Psychological Services. So you're going to hear just so much incredible wisdom from her today. So I'm excited for you to enjoy this episode. And I wanted to make sure that if you are not yet on our email list, make sure you hop on over to the homepage of the Fresh Start Family website. That's freshstartfamilyonline.com. We always have some type of free resource over there. So you can grab that and hop onto our email list so we can keep in touch with you each week. We have weekly podcast episodes that drop. We also send out encouragements and different ways of support um, all the time. So I want to make sure that I can keep in contact with you and hopping on the email list is the best way to do that. So the free guide that we have right now is called the free guide to raising strong-willed kids with integrity. And I promise you it will support you big time. If you have kids that might push back a lot or say no, or just sometimes don't cooperate when you want them to. So make sure you go grab that free guide. And also if you have not yet, make sure you push subscribe or follow over on iTunes so you automatically get weekly new podcast episodes downloaded right to your phone. All right, guys, without further ado, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Well, hey there, I'm Stella. Welcome to my mom and dad's podcast, The Fresh Start Family Show. We're so happy you're here. We're inspired by the ocean, Jesus, and rock and roll, and believe deeply in the true power of love and kindness. Together, we hope to inspire you to expand your heart, learn new tools, and strengthen your family. Enjoy the show. Well, hey there, families, and welcome to a new episode of the Fresh Start Family Show. I am so excited to be sitting here today with Dr. Hirschberg. Welcome, Dr. Hirschberg. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yay. So guys, you are in for a treat today. Dr. Hirschberg, Hirschberg is going to talk to us about toddler tantrums. And you guys are going to learn so much because Dr. Hirschberg is just a wealth of knowledge around this area. She's actually the author of the Tantrum Survival, Survival Guide. And um, she is a clinical psychologist who specializes in early childhood social emotional development and mental health. And the founder of Little House Calls Psychological 
services. And prior to her current work, Dr. Hirschberg was the director of training and quality for healthy steps at Children's Hospital at Montefiore. Is that how you say that hospital's name? Montefiore. It has like a Y sound in there. Ah, Montefiore. An infant and toddler preventative mental health program that gained national and international attention for its integration of early childhood mental health professionals within primary care pediatrics. That's so incredible. While at Montefiore, is that, did I do it better? (laughs) You got it. Absolutely. Well done. Dr. Hirschberg uh, held an assistant professorship in the Department of Pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, through which she taught both pediatric residents and medical students. So Dr. Hirschberg is going to specifically help us understand today why tantrums happen, what they are, the importance of connecting with our kiddos and being on the same team, and then number three, the importance of self-regulation and self-compassion as a parent, which may be the hardest part. <laughs> um, always, always. <laughs> always. But before we get started, uh, will you just tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got here uh, when you wrote this book? Because I know you wrote it in a time that was just a wild season of your life and why you are so passionate about, about helping and serving families um, in all the capacities that you do. Sure. Um, so you forgot the most important part of my bio, which is that I'm a mom. Yes! <laughs> because I feel like that just informs everything. And I want to make it very clear to listeners when I have these conversations that I am very much having them from from within you, sort of I'm one of you and not kind of preaching from above. Because I think Aww. as much as I know a lot, I hope, and I um, can provide some guidance that will be helpful. You are undoubtedly the experts in your own kids. Um, awesome. So this journey, uh, yeah, this journey was a long journey, and it basically culminated in my feeling like a lot of the psychological training that I'd had and training in therapy and, and you know, just didn't focus enough on prevention is kind of the take-home message of, of that part of my journey. I, I ended up after my internship working in... Um, child welfare in New York City with a lot of kids um, and teenagers entering the foster system. And as I learned to do that work, I really just kept thinking to myself, like, you know, we got to we got to get at this earlier. We got to be in general pediatrics. We have to sort of just make this part of the fabric of what we offer families. Um, And so that's when I moved to Montefiore and did that work. And then I started a a private practice that did the same thing. And now I offer parent coaching as well, kind of nationally and internationally, which is such a treat and an honor. And when you say I'm passionate, I mean, I just really feel not to sound, you know, too, too crazy, but that we can change the world based on how we parent our kids, frankly. Um, And, and so that's kind of what drives me in my work. As far as the book, um, it's a funny story. I had ju- I was on um, maternity leave with my second son. I have two little boys. Right now, Henry is six and Zeke is four and a half. And so I had a toddler at home and he was off at daycare and Zeke was about a month old. And I took him um, out to lunch as like the first, it was in January. And I was like, we're going to leave the house. We're going to sit. I'm going to get myself, you know, something to eat. And I got a, a phone call from a number that I didn't recognize. Um, and so I didn't pick it up, of course, and it ended up being a voicemail from an editor at Guilford Press asking if I would like to write a book. And I honestly, I looked around as if I was being talked. 
I mean, I, I, I had like breast milk dried all over my shirt. I hadn't showered. It was the first time basically I left the house and I was like, write a book. Like I can barely remember the shower right now. Um, so I kind of wrote it off and, and then I mentioned it to my husband and my husband said, look, it's incredibly rare that people call you and ask you to write books. And so if it's something that you would even consider, now is the time to do it. And so... I did it and I don't totally remember doing it. It was a bit of an out of body experience, um, but it, but it got done. So, so I guess I did it. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. Wow. That is so cool. And I, I assume it's available on Amazon. Yep. Amazon. And for people who are way too busy to read, it's on audible. Um, okay. And I actually read, I read it myself, which was a fun oh. experience. Um, so yeah, it's on Amazon, it's on Audible, it's on my website, you know, wherever you would normally get books, it's available. And, and Dan Spiegel actually wrote the foreword. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was like a real dream come true. So, um, yeah, go get it. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. Well, we will make sure we put it on our, our fresh hit. Fresh Start Family shop page. I, I have a little shop on the page that I curate all my oh, favorite wonderful. books and resources. So we will add it there because um, that's wonderful. Families definitely go check that out. Okay, cool. Well, talk to us about tantrums, Dr. Hirschberg. And I know um, in my Bonfire membership community, we have families from all over the world. And it is definitely, this is a universal thing, right? I think parents um, that I work with are always trying to figure out, and we're always t- trying to help serve them too, of what is really, you know, the difference of between a lot of times, like almost power struggle, misbehavior and pushback and kind of, and then what is it when it actually turns into a full-blown tantrum? And I feel like it's such a a different, you know, there's similar things, um, but it's such a different thing that we're working with. So will you take some time just to tell us what are tantrums? Why do they happen? um, All that good stuff. Sure. And yeah, I think the point that you're highlighting is that, that moment when your child kind of goes off the cliff <laughs> that's yeah. how a lot of parents have have described it to me that kind of point of no return um tantrums first of all they are healthy they are normal i am frankly um more concerned about kids and families when there's no tantrums you know mm-hmm. ever um they are simply behavioral expressions of emotion i mean that is kind of the the most basic we can get as far as the definition is that they are behavioral expressions of emotions that little children, although frankly, can also be school-age children, adolescents, teenagers, adults, <laughs> yeah. don't have the um, capacity in that moment to manage in any other way. Um, so it is not willful. Um, it is simply a child, and again, back to toddlers, being overwhelmed by some emotional or sensory or just some sort of experience that they can't put words to, can't put language to, can't regulate in their brains. And so the result is a tantrum. And there's a misconception that tantrums are only resulting from what you mentioned, kind of a power struggle or defiance. A tantrum is a child being stubborn. And actually, you know, tantrums happen when kids are anxious. They happen when kids are sad. They happen when kids are exhausted, when kids are hungry. And again, I don't think we have to look further than ourselves and adults to know that that's the case because that's what happens to us as well. Um, And so they're really nothing to worry about. And and my book and my approach with families is not about thinking about how to eliminate tantrums because we can't, because they are simply feelings. 
Um, and similarly, we don't want to punish tantrums or think about them as something to discipline. But there are ways to prevent the freak, you know, to sort of affect the frequency of tantrums, the duration of tantrums, and the intensity of tantrums. This is so good, Dr. Hirschberg. So I think everything you just spoke to is so beautiful to kind of normalize the mis- like the the behavior, right? And <laughs> at the same time, I know so many listeners are thinking in their head right now. I always kind of love to be their voice, right? It's like, yeah, and they suck. They suck. Like, and you know, I have so my little my kids are nine and twelve now, almost ten and thirteen, and so my my little girl is a lot of the stories. Um, that, you know, she's the reason she's like such an angel to our family and the world. She's the reason why I'm a positive parenting educator. She caused me to learn and grow and expand in ways that I would have never dreamed, right? If I wouldn't have been blessed with this little strong-willed, very sensitive little girl, and when she was a toddler, holy smokes, she was the type of kid who would go like 30, 45 minutes. And I even hear from some families who say, you know, their their kids' tantrums will last like an hour or two. Um, and so when you're when you're in it and we have so it's like this first step that you so beautifully spoke to of like kind of understanding that they're they are normal, they're healthy development. These kids are learning life skills and they're learning how to communicate their emotions, even how to identify all their emotions, right? And what, you know, how do we actually stay calm and, um, and work through it? I think that's what listeners want to know. It's like, well, what do we actually do? And I've always, you know, in my, in my learning is really kind of thought and what, what I teach members is, is it's not about ending it or making it going away, go away, but it's about enduring it with grace and then being more preventative in the future, right? To kind of pick up what, what does kind of set my kid off? What are they the most sensitive to? What times of the day are they most likely to fall into this? But what are your thoughts on that? I know your second point for us is about the importance of connecting with our kids and being on the same team, but what can we do you know, because we we don't want them. <laughs> like I know it's they're healthy and they're part of development, but holy smokes, they are they can be gnarly, especially if you're in public or at a family gathering or even they're just they're hard. <laughs> they're really hard, and and I think that's exactly right, and that it's really beautiful to just acknowledge that and hold space for that, both now as we're thinking about them, but also in the moment. Um, I think you know, in some ways, you just saying the words that you did is a place to start, which is when your child starts having a tantrum. And again, I do think there's an important delineation, not that it's linear per se, but um, Mm -hmm. between kind of when you're in the stage that your child is still able to listen and problem solve and hear anything you're saying, even if it's just empathy, and when they have kind of gone past the point of no return. Um, When they've gone past the point of no return, and they are screaming or yelling or crying, I think saying to yourself exactly what you just said to your listeners, which is in some sort of a mantra form, my child's having a hard time and I'm having a hard time. Both things are true. This is hard. This is a hard moment. This moment will pass, right? There's little things that you can say to yourself that normalize it and that also provide a lens of compassion, both for your child and for you, because There's a difference if you are sitting there and you are kind of seething with resentment and looking at your watch because you're running late and kind of sigh, you know, sighing, you know, that's, that's your child is picking up on your energy. And if you can sit there and really just say to yourself, like, I'm here with my child as my child's having a hard time. And this is hard for me. 
and we're going to get through it together. And even just repeating those types of things to yourself do so much to calm your child just non-verbally. It doesn't mean they're going to, you know, notice you feeling that and then cheer up within a minute. As you said, that's yeah. not the goal. Um, but I think it's, it's evolutionary that, of course, it sucks, as you said, because our kids are in distress. And we want to do everything we can from a biological standpoint to get them out of that. And yeah. yet, they're, they, the best thing we can do is just sort of sit there and hold presence. And then when we're going through it later, as you said, not only to think about what was going on for my kid, but what was going on for me. Um, there's, a, there's a page in the book that's kind of a worksheet um, based on Marsha Linehan's kind of chain analysis for DBT, dialectical behavioral um, therapy. And it, and it really is looking at, you know, what was going on earlier in the day for my child? What was going on for me? Was my child hungry? Was I hungry? What, you know, and so it's looking at the fact, and the book talks a lot about, and I talk a lot about how tantrums are interactions. And a tantrum may play out very differently depending on what state of mind you as a parent or as a caregiver are in. Um, even if the set of triggers is exactly the same for your child. And that's a really key point to keep in mind as well. Let's chat for a hot sec, openly and honestly, about what your discipline toolkit looks like in your home right now. If you're anything like most parents, you're relying on the hand-me-down set you inherited. Timeouts, spankings, threatening of spankings, taking iPads away, three, two, one countdowns, groundings, taking away toys, e-bikes, iPhones, any or all of those kind of tactics that create a total relationship strain and don't even work long-term to end your child's misbehavior for good. Meaning you might spank your child or send them to timeout today for being air quotes mean to their sister or disrespecting you, but then three days from now, they're repeating the same misbehavior, which causes you to flip your lid because you know they know better. I want to help you learn a new way so you could end the vicious cycle that's keeping you stuck as a parent and causing you to feel super frustrated that nothing is working to get your strong-willed, stubborn child to behave better. My team and I have recently completely refreshed our Compassionate Discipline Quick Start Learning Bundle to help you learn a new way to teach your kids important life lessons, a new way to help your children learn from their mistakes and take responsibility for their actions. You can just DM me the word shift over on Instagram. I'm at Fresh Start Wendy, and I'll personally send you a message with a link to download this free bundle. I'm going to help you shift out of a punishment mindset and into a compassionate discipline one where you fully trust that connection-based, firm and kind discipline tools are all you need to be a strong leader in your home who holds your kids responsible when they misbehave, but does it in a way where they are learning the vital life skills they are missing when they mess up. So again, just DM me the word shift over on Instagram. I'm at Fresh Start Wendy, or you can head to freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash discipline to grab your free bundle now. I am so excited for you to shift out of feeling guilty and shameful when you lay your head on your pillow at night and shift into feeling confident and proud of the way you handled yourself as a parent, even when you were wildly triggered and upset about the mistake your child made. Okay, I'm excited for you to dive into this free resource. I'll see you in my DMs and inside the free discipline bundle. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that you bring in the what's going on for me because, and, and all of those kind of mantras that you said, because it is so powerful to be able to endure with grace and integrity and dignity when you're not kind of feeding those monsters, so to speak, that are like, my child's going to grow up to be an entitled brat. I have no control over this kid. This kid is purposely pushing my buttons and like all of those things that aren't truth, that aren't rooted in actual psychology and truth will just cause you to not be able to move forward with any type of um, endurance. Right. And then I love, so, and, and you mentioned the trigger, you know, mentioned the triggers a little bit and I want to um, make sure uh, if there's any others that I've kind of missed, but I, I always think of it as hunger, thirst, sickness, tiredness, and then often I will put in there powerlessness is, can be a trigger for tantrums. Is that, is that something um, you would agree? Is there more or? Um, You're talking about triggers for, for the kids? For the tantrums. <laughs> oh, yes. For us. Yes. So also, you know, ch- you know, have change in routine, mm. um, over sensory overstimulation, right? So big box yeah. stores or, you know, supermarkets, why are they, you know, so difficult? Because there's just so much coming at them from a sensory perspective. Um, travel, the mood and state of the caregiver. So when people say, why does my toddler always have a tantrum around um, my in-laws? That may well be because you're anxious around your in-laws and you feel like you're being judged. And that translates, you know, and you're a very different parent when your in-laws are around because you're kind of trying to do what they would do. And so you're, you know, and so I think, um, you know, when I talk about tantrums, I kind of talk about um, you're walking through a supermarket, your child is demanding that you buy the Oreos. You say, no, the child has a tantrum and, and, or maybe you observe that in the supermarket and you could easily say the child is having a tantrum because, um, you said no to getting the Oreos, but then you could find out that the toddler, you know, only slept for seven hours last night, or you could find out the toddler is getting over a really bad cold, or you could find out that the toddler had a new baby sister born four days ago. (laughs) Or you could find out that the mom who's taking the toddler shopping um, grew up really um, food insecure and so mm-hmm. always feels a little bit stressed and agitated when she gets to the supermarket. All of those things are likely contributing. It's yeah. a question of kind of panning out and in your individual parent-child dynamic, thinking about what is contributing to this tantrum. And so it's not as easy as kind of listing all those things, although that is a good place to start. It really is just thinking more globally about who am I? Who is my kid? What is our family going through right now? And might any of those things have contributed to an increase in the frequency, duration, or intensity of tantrum? Yes. And so many times I think when the triggers happen, you know, we, we are that choice moment, right? Where we match it or we respond with the kind of um, response that you're talking about. And so I would, you know, it sounds like you could even go through that list in your own, your own head too. Cause the moments where you have reacted like a volcano are probably because you have a lot of this going on. Hunger, thirst, tired, sickness, powerlessness, change in routine, overstimulation, travel, um, the mood stage of the planet right now. <laughs> like 100%. all of it, right? Like, and, and so if we're going to be more likely and more at risk probably of matching the tantrum and not being able to get through it, um, 
So I love kind of looking at both sides. It's so important. And then um, a few more questions about tantrums, uh, or, you know, just the nature of them is so many times I'll, you know, I'll hear from families that their toddlers get really physical um, in those tantrums. And that can be almost the hardest part, right? So it's like the yelling and the screaming and the crying. And I know when Stella was little, she used to like break out in rashes all over her face. And it was so sad, right? I mean, there was so much um, physicalness to it, but, but the hitting and the kicking and the biting and even like the self-harm that comes in with like the head banging sometimes. What are your, you know, your words of just um, comfort for families as far as like, you know, we're talking about this endurance with grace and holding space and being there. It like ups at a level when that's present, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, there are some red flags when it comes to tantrums that do indicate there's possibly more going on. Not definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and aggression is one of those things where it, it can be a red flag if every time your toddler or child has a tantrum, there's aggression and it's not just like, oh, I'm going to push you in frustration, but it's mm-hmm. kind of persistent and potentially intense aggression. And so in those situations, um, if there are families listening where that is a regular and ongoing part of your child's tantrums, then I do think it might be time to get some help and some guidance not necessarily any more than, for example, you did with your daughter. It doesn't mean yeah. there's something horrifically wrong with a child. It just means, okay, something here isn't working and we have to kind of go beyond that and really think about either how we're parenting or, yeah. you know, evaluating the child, whatever it is. Because aggression, although parts of it are absolutely completely normal and every child goes through it and it's part of and expected to be part of some tantrums sometimes. If it is part of every tantrum every time, that might be something to look at. Um, All that being said, I think kids get physical when the yelling, the screaming, the falling on the floor, even that doesn't kind of express how awful um, they feel. And part Mm. of the reason that they're, that they're aggressive. And again, I don't mean reason that they're consciously thinking this out, but first of all, they're completely dysregulated. And second of all, they just are what they're trying to do. Behavior is communication. They're trying, not necessarily consciously, to convey how much they are struggling, how angry they are, how sad they are, how completely um, just unsure they are. And so the most reassuring that you can be is to say, wow, I, I, you know, I get it. You are, you are really feeling some super big feeling. And then that's coupled with, I cannot let you hate, I cannot let you hit me. I can't let you bite me, kick me, whatever it is. My number one job is to keep you safe and you're not being safe. And then you can hold your child. Um, you, what, whatever it is you need to do to prioritize physical safety. But that is not, oh, don't you start kicking me right now. Beautiful, you know, yeah. that, that's going to make that, you know, or, or like, oh, now, you know, and now you hit me. Well, there, go sit on the chair because that, right. they are in such heightened state it's just that their feelings I have a colleague who says and I love this their feelings are coming out of their body their body their their body wasn't enough to hold the feelings the feelings got so big and you can say this to your kid oh no now the feelings are so big that they're coming out of your hands (laughs) I'm gonna have to hold your hands because my number one job is to keep this family safe and I I have to do this Um, and then you add that to to their feet to their teeth you know what whatever it is Yes. So you're oh my setting goodness. a clear and firm boundary. You know, the book talks a lot about 
about love and limits, about how all research shows that kids thrive when there are high levels of love and high levels of, of limits. And limits is sort of boundaries and ways in which your child knows no matter what they throw at you, you can take it. Not take it like a doormat, you know, not right. take being hit, but, but just like, oh, now you're up the ante. Okay, I've got that too. I'm your solid, steady parent. I'm here. I've got the ability to handle this also, as opposed to your feelings and your frustration and your physicality is too much for me. And now it has affected how I'm acting and feeling. That yeah. gives kids this sense of power that's kind of the opposite of the sense of power we want to give them. That's like, whoa, I have so much power that I'm influencing this whole this whole show, and that's too much. And even, you know, kids feel that at their core, and it's anxiety-provoking. Huge. That right there, I feel like, <laughs> is so powerful. We could end right now is that, like, is the biggest takeaway ever, is parents don't realize, right, that when they they react and they feed into it, that it actually is helping their child feel that need to feel powerful in a way that we don't want them to learn, right? It's like a almost a, a false pseudo sense of power. But over time, that starts to become the norm and starts to almost become, um, a, is, is that is that accurate that they, they yeah, learn? They can, either, they can either learn that they're more powerful than they are, or they learn that they are as powerful as they feel in your family. And it changes the dynamic and the hierarchy in an unhealthy way. I mean, I think about it, um, and a lot of parents can relate to it when you think about older kids and you think about curfew. Um, You know, so if a kid screams and yells and calls you a B or whatever it is, because they have to come home at midnight. And let's say you say, fine, forget it. You know, okay, enough. You You can come, you don't have to have a curfew. And then in the moment, the kid's like, sweet, you know, I rock. This is awesome. Um, I'm out with my friends. And then all the friends have curfews and they're kind of left out. And they're a little bit like, wait a second. Deep down, I would never say it out loud to my friends, but I kind of wish I had a curfew because it means that someone else is in charge and cares enough about me to be in charge. Yeah. And that analogy is very similar. Again, in the moment, they're going to love it. They're screaming for more cookies and you give it to them. Mission accomplished, fantastic. But over time, they need to see that you'll hold a boundary in order for them to feel safe. They won't feel safe if you can't hold a boundary. Which yes. is different than saying, sorry, I'm like on a roll. So but good. Say that's different from saying you can never give in. Because that's the other thing that's a mis- there's a real misconception that once yeah. you say no, you can never change your mind. You can never give in. And I've <laughs> yeah. seen parents come into my office when I was doing in-person sessions and they're exhausted and they're miserable. And they say they, they argued with their kid about taking a bath for three hours. And I'll say, oh my gosh, why didn't you just skip the bath? Right. And they'll say, I didn't think I, I thought once I said we were doing it, that I was sending a bad message. It's like, no, none of this is. I wish it were that black and white. It would be easy, yeah. <laughs> totally. but it's just not. You still have to yeah. use your intuition and you still have to think about trends. You're trending toward having boundaries and being a safe person and being someone that can set limits. That doesn't mean you can never say, okay, you know what? I'm exhausted. I have a splitting headache. We've had a long day. My kid is getting over a cold. I'm going to give her another cookie so we can just move on. Yes. That's okay too. Yeah, we call that bending with parameters. Right, exactly. 
yeah. And then next week you can tighten it up and not buy cookies. Right. <laughs> Instead right. of exactly. putting the limit so strong, just how about don't buy cookies? <laughs> um, but when, sure. and back to the curfew example, I think that's so beautiful, Dr. Hirschberg. Um, and like, yeah, it's the giving in thing, right? The, but, and I feel like it's so powerful what you spoke to though about even just the reactive interaction feeds into the sense that that is a a way to feel powerful, right? So if you're screaming and getting a rise out of your mom and calling her a bee, and she's like, you know, you know, so PO that she's like in your face, and then like there's she's awake, right? And you've you've had this interaction and you maybe don't get your way, but you woke her up, you caused her to get a rise, you she's screaming, she you know you made her angry, right? Like all these things that the next morning are like not what how we want to help our kids feel powerful. And if you know, so I love that I love what you spoke to as far as like it's going to it's going to feed needs in a way that we want it to or in a way that we don't want it to and and we'd rather get creative and find ways to help them feel powerful in healthy ways that are actually like and and creating that calm response where we don't fly off the handle or we don't engage or we don't um become part of the tornado i think teaches them like hey you're safe and this is not how you're gonna this is not gonna work for you to feel powerful because it's not gonna affect me um which is easier said than done, but so beautiful. So, okay. So I think you just spoke so um, well to the importance of connecting with your child and being on the same team Um, because so many times it is us and them in the same learning season. I don't know if this rings a bell to you, but for me and, and to my students and my bonfire members, so many times if their child's really going through something kind of in a a season where they're having a lot of tantrums it's it's often mirrors what's happening in the adults lives and and again they're learning together and i think i always encourage my my families that i work with if you can see it as a beautiful opportunity to be together in your learning because when you learn and when whether it's processing emotions or how to take care of yourself or get better sleep or eat healthier or stop eating so much sugar or caffeine then your child almost naturally absorbs that without you having to make them learn a different way. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And and also just being on your child's team, even in the individual episodes. I mean, I think there's a misconception when I talk about love and limits that when one goes up, the other one has to go down. You know, that if I'm going to be sort of loving and nurturing and warm to my child, then how could I possibly set a limit or vice versa? If I'm going to show my child who's boss, and that they can't get away with this, then how could I possibly also be loving and warm? And in fact, all the research shows that when both things are high, kids do best. And so by all means, if your child is screaming for another cookie, start with a loving limit, you know, a limit that has love. So sweetie, I know you want another cookie and man, do I get that. Cookies are delicious. You only want one other cookie. If I could, I would have 10 more cookies. They're so yummy. I have to say no, though, because they also are not super healthy. And so if you're hungry, we can have healthy food. Again, I get it. I'm with you. We're on the same team. And I'm setting a boundary at the same time. It's, 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 I think one real pitfall that parents fall into or trap or whatever is the sense that those two things can't be true at the same time. I can't be on your team and set a boundary at the same time. When in fact, that is the best way to show your child you are on their team is yeah. to be loving 
and and hold firm to your boundaries. I love that. I love that you use the word and. I feel like this is such a simple word that when we change that in our language and take the word but out, then things can be, um, you know, inclusive or complimentary and it doesn't have to be negated, you know, but it's such mm-hmm. a simple tweak and it really, I think, affects our mindset around it. Like, I love you and no, we're not having more yeah. cookies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right, right. Yeah, we had an episode um and, and it, it feels like it's for such an incredible, wise and doctor, it's like it feels funny to just be like, have you seen this viral social media or this viral video? But it was so beautiful that I actually reached out and had um, this dad on our podcast. But his, his name Which is Joel. Which is the one where he, yes, I yes. the one where the, the child was having the little baby, it was like an 18 month old having a tantrum and he just put it to music. Um, he put it to music. She was like, I think she's two and a half. Um, okay. Yeah, but it's it's probably the same person. His name's Joel Mitchell. And it was a beautiful representation of what we're talking about. And at the end was you could, without any words, you could just feel how the storm had passed. And he took time out of his day to spend a half hour on the ground with this little girl to not react when she would, you know, try to smack his little, his back or his head or, yeah. you know, and he just held space for her. And I don't know, I would think in, in especially in like your work, your work in your field, that video feels like it was very um, revolution, evolutionary, revolutionary and like showing yeah. how to actually do it. Right. Um, yeah, it was very powerful. And in fact, I had done a podcast right then for, um, off the clock, I think is a, is a pod, another podcast, a mental health podcast. And, and because it had just come out and it was going viral, they linked it, you know, in the, yeah. in the show notes to this, you know, they linked to my book into that video because it is really telling. And also the song that he picked is just so perfect. And I mean, oh, I think I cried. Me too. <laughs> um, yeah. because, and I think that speaks to, that speaks to the fact that this is how we all want to be held. I mean, yes. as a, you know, I'm not, you know, on the floor screaming and crying, but right now I am having some really big feelings a lot. And the idea that I can have those feelings and there can be a safe person who's not scared by my feelings and who's not overwhelmed by my feelings and who can just hold my feelings. Even just talking about it, just fe- I feel my whole nervous system kind of settling. And so I think yeah. part of the power of that video was how much we could all relate to what this little two and a half year old was going through. And I think the more that parents can remember that their kids tantrums are not really all that different from what they would be doing if they didn't have the capacity, you know, if I didn't have the capacity to, to, you know, manage my emotions and behavior, I'd be having tantrums quite regularly these days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so what would I want? What would I need? Um, and just thinking that way, you know, can really open so many doors when it comes to parenting and particularly parenting through these moments when our kids have really big feelings. Families, I have a question for you. Would you love to be able to set really strong boundaries and rules with your children and then follow through with consistency and firm kindness? If yes, listen up. I have a program called the Firm and Kind Parenting Blueprint that I'd love for you to go check out. You can learn more over at freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash firm and kind. 
kind. Inside of this quick, easy to finish program, I'll teach you four steps to really setting those strong roles, but then following through in a way where you're using connection and firm kindness. And what I'll teach you will actually cause your children to want to cooperate with you because they truly respect you and value the rule and the boundary and understand how it serves them, not just something that they have to do or else. And it's just an incredible feeling when you go to bed at night knowing that you followed through on the rules and the strong boundaries in your home without relying on hand-me-down parenting tactics like fear, force, threats, yelling, harsh punishments that really create usually fear in your household, right? We want our children to listen to us because they respect us and because they understand why being part of the team, cooperating well, respecting rules, all those things, why that feels good as a human being. We want to do those things um, in ways that cause our children to want to respect us, not just because they're scared of us or a consequence. And that's exactly what I'm going to teach you inside this program. So again, head on over to freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash firm and kind to learn more. But in under an hour, this program will teach you some really effective strategies on how to create agreements with your kids instead of compliance statements, which is where a lot of parents go wrong and why their children don't end up respecting the rules or the agreements that they've made. And then I'm going to teach you how to use empathy. I'll teach you how to engage your kids' critical thinking skills when you tell them to do something and they say no. And then I'm also going to encourage you to understand how to empower your children. When children feel empowered, especially strong-willed kids, they will cooperate a whole heck of a lot easier, okay? So I want you to go learn about this program and let me know if you have any questions, freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash firm and kind. Yes, I was trying to find the, the episode of that one. Okay, you guys, listeners, that one is, of course, I'm not going to be able to find it, but it's called Detaching from Tantrums um, and Misbehavior with Love and Integrity. And it might be, I don't know, it's, it's in there if you could... <laughs> Yeah, you need to write a you need to write a book with that title. (laughs) Yes, right. But go over to the Fresh Start Family um, show page and you'll find it. It might have been episode I don't know. I can't read the number, but it's a good one that would really be complimentary to this episode today. That's really nice because he spoke about how she was just coming off of a really um, big road trip. And just about to get sick, I think. That's kind of what contributed to it. Or she had just come off of a sickness. Um, and, you know, a few things. And and we'll discuss our last point here. Um, the importance of self-regulation and self-compassion as a parent. But I'm thinking back, just because I always love to give listeners, like, really um, specific examples, you know, to be, like, really actionable and real and tangible. But two things that I remember Stella really struggled with when she was little that... Um, were so hard. Uh, one of them was, and I'm, I've always tried to like apply this and had trouble with it, but she, when she would wake up from a nap from the time she was about three to four, probably around three and a half to four and a half, maybe, um, she would fly into tantrum mode and we could never figure that out. What is that, Dr. Hirschberg? Because I, I hear it from a lot of listeners or a lot of families I work with. Um, but it would like, she'd almost wake up from her nap on the wrong side of the bed and then be so inconsolable that we were just like, whoa. I remember being like, does she need, is her blood sugar low? Does she need juice? Like, does she need a snack? But it was, we were never able to figure it out. Um, any any words on that? 
Yeah. So, um, my, my older son was like that as well. Um, and the way that I came to understand it was that because this was in keeping with kind of who he was more generally, um, it's a, tr- it's a really big transition, um, uh, yeah, going exactly. from being asleep to awake. Um, and it's also, if you think about your own nap back, you know, when maybe one time you were able to take one. <laughs> Oh, no, I still um, love naps. I'm a napper to this oh, day. I, 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 I love naps. Are you kidding? I just I haven't been able to pull one off, which I should right. be because, again, self-care is really important. But um, it's, yeah. it's pretty disorienting um, yes. to wake up. And sometimes you don't know, like, wait, is it the next day? Is it that day? Like, what, you know, again, if you fall into yeah. a deep sleep and for kids who are sensitive, that's, again, that's anxiety producing. That's overwhelming. It's like, here's this feeling and I don't understand enough about sleep states and wake states and napping and time and space to really put them into words. And so I'm just going to take this feeling and kind of let it out in the best way I know how, which is kind of the screaming and the crying. And so just helping to orient your kid, you know, again, I'm right here. Look out the window. Here we are in your bedroom. Um, and again, just to ride it out, because I think in that moment, just back to what, you know, we're beating a dead horse a little bit, but you know, if, if you come at it with the energy of what is this? Does she need a snack? Does she need music? Does she need TV? What should I do? Again, it's, it's sending a signal to our kids that there is something wrong with how you're acting. And also I can't handle it. It, it must be as scary as it feels because I am bending over backwards to make it go away as opposed to, Oh, this, yeah, these are called big feelings and they pass just like waves in an ocean. Oh, uh, you know, you may not be familiar with them. I've had many big feelings and I know exactly what's going to happen, which is that they're going to go away soon. Okay. That is so beautiful because looking back at that time, um, there was definitely exactly like you said, the energy was all about fixing. And I mean, that is just amazing to think back and, and to think about exactly what you did. It felt very unsafe. We were very uncomfortable with it. We were very annoyed, irritated, worried. Um, something was wrong for sure. And so I think, you know, what I've learned and what I'm hearing you say too, is that um, when kids aren't allowed to totally move through something, it kind of stunts the ability to get out of it. Right. So like, I see this a lot in the families I work with in all misbehavior is as long as they're still fixing and using the external controls, um, whether that's fear, force, bribery, rewards, um, permissiveness, whatever, it it kind of like the 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 misbehavior will persist. But when they just say, like you said, it's safe, you're okay, it's a storm, it's gonna pass. I'm over here, you're strong, you're capable, I'm here to support, I'm here to hold space. We're in a, everything's cool and it's hard, but we're together then they get through it. And then on the other end of it, they're like, Oh, I got through that. Um, is that accurate? Like it's more of a sense of empowerment and a yeah, natural. The only thing, the only thing I would tweak and my guess is you're just thinking about the families you work with. Cause the only thing I would tweak here is that it's not misbehavior. Yes. You know, yes, I, yes. Know, I, I know, I know what right. you mean yep. is that it's, it's behavior that is not that you don't love, <laughs> yes. but it's but misbehavior implies like doing something wrong. And I think what I would add is that in our culture, we are so bad at having feelings. Um, and speaking of what I said in the beginning, which is that yeah. the world could be a better place. I mean, I still, just having been raised when I was raised and whatever, if I start to feel mad or I start to feel sad, I immediately think to myself, you know, what can I do? I should call a friend. I should journal. I could do some yoga. I could go for a run. 
in my less healthy moments, you know, I could have a glass of wine, I could have a bunch of Oreos myself. (laughs) Instead of what we all need to get better at is, oh, I'm sad. Yeah. Period. Like, maybe I can just be with that sadness or be with that anger, because again, it will pass. And so we have to, again, we can really shift, I think, the world not to get all, you know, grandiose. But if we can just help our kids, not panic when they have a feeling that doesn't feel so good and not have to get rid of it because it's there's no way to go through life without having feelings (laughs) unless you're sensing them every time and then they're just going to get bigger and bigger and come out and come out in in more and more destructive ways beautiful such a good clarification thank you dr hirschberg one more question about that and then i think we've talked um mostly to the self-regulation and self-compassion um but if there's any other points we want to add as we finish up but i know a lot of times with my families you know we talk about the importance of teaching in a calm time um you know when it's not the amygdala that's lit up and everyone everyone's like oh it's like when everyone's calm everyone's had a moment to come down off the roller coaster but with tantrums, I often get a little confused on this one because it's like, do we really need to even teach later? Like, you know, when you have a two and a half year old and a three and a half year old or four year old or whatever, like, do you really need to come in and teach with redos or role play? We, you know, we compassionate discipline, logical consequences, like role plays, redos, makeups, right. all these things that for, for more like the, cl- the classic yeah. misbehavior of like, hey, you were seeking power and then to feel powerful and then that didn't happen. And then you got hurt. You turned it to revenge. You smacked your brother in the face. He's got a huge welt, <laughs> like that kind of stuff versus you had a tantrum. You had a lot of, um, I, we, I held space for you. We did it. And then now we're on the other side. It's bedtime. Do we do any teaching around like, Hey, what we learned from today is that I love you shaking your head already, right? There's no need to, right? There's no need to with tantrums there's no need because... To because you've already because you've already taught them. Beautiful. Again, it's not okay. that there's no need for teaching. There's no need for kind of cognitive problem solving because that's not the part of the brain that's online during the tantrum. That you've makes taught sense. the unconscious level that a loving presence is there when you're really upset and that you can get through something. That's awesome. all the teaching you need to do when you've already done it. And the firm boundaries of like, I won't let you help me, uh, hurt me. I'm here right. to keep you safe. That's my number one goal. So it's like all of the teaching is in your actions. Oh, it's in your actions good... and in what they take in in their nervous system. Um, because then if that happens enough times at home, like that's what they take into the world. They take into the yeah. world. I can handle hard things. Yeah. Someone will be here to help me. The world is a safe place. All these things that we know are associated with many positive outcomes down down the road. So it's not that you're not doing the teaching. You're just not doing the teaching in the typical kind of didactic way. I love that. That's such a good clarification. Terry and I just recorded an episode called You Can Do Hard Things. And mm-hmm. people loved it because it was so good. It was actually like all of sports analogies to surfing. Uh, but it was it's so true. Like we need to have the confidence that we can do hard things. And then lately I've been loving learning, you know, kind of settling into this like, okay, well, what is do we do we sometimes make it harder than it is, right? Like we view it, it's going to be so hard. So that's mm-hmm. been fun to explore that lately. But okay, Dr. Hirschberg, um, will you feel finish us off with just this idea of the self-compassion part, because obviously our kids are going to have messy moments. We are not going to perfectly be able to respond to every tantrum or misbehavior. We're going to have those triggers that come up. Um, so how, how can this help us and why is it so important when we, when we're talking about tantrums? 
I think self-compassion is so important because um, this is really hard. And yeah. so that means we're going to mess it up all the time. And we need to then be gentle with ourselves. I mean, again, self-compassion has just been shown to be so helpful when it comes to fighting against depression, anxiety, those sorts of things. And the way to think about it is the way that you would speak with your best friend. You know, so if my best friend called me and said, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I totally lost it. My kid was having a tantrum. I used the F-bomb. I grabbed his <laughs> arm too hard. Like what? I'm the worst mom I think in the entire world yes. and I would say sweetie are you kidding me like you sweetie, you're doing the best you can you're exhausted this is hard your son is so lucky to have you he loves you you love him you'll be able to you know just apologize you'll have a repair later like but I would never say that to myself if uh, I did those no. things I would say like no I really am the worst parent in the world yeah. <laughs> you know and so again, it's, it's speaking to yourself the way you speak to your best friend, which is to say, oh, sweetie, like, okay, so you made a mistake. We all do. You're a wonderful mom, you know, and just coming at it with that gentleness. Um, because otherwise, again, the shame impacts how we, you know, again, you just get into this spiral that then sort of makes things worse instead of better. I mean, I do this for a living. I am a parenting coach. I wrote a book about this. I'm a clinical psychologist. And last week alone, I probably had to apologize to each of my kids at least three or four times for losing yes. my temper. And especially we haven't talked about, nor do we have to, but the fact that we're in a global pandemic. I mean, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what we call. Right. Exactly. Oh, that. Um, you know, our windows of tolerance is what, you know, between kind of things that happen. And then yeah. when we go off, grow, you know, fly off the handle, like that's so much shorter for our kids and for us. And so there's the idea, which is, you know, Dan Siegel talks about all the time of the rupture and repair. Like, okay, so you have a rupture and then you have a repair and that's how the connection gets deeper. And so just to piggyback on what you said a couple of minutes ago, it's not just that the teaching happens in the calm times, it's that the teaching happens in the calm and connected time. Mm, because it's the connection, yeah. it's the parents and kids co-regulate. And so you can be calm, but if you're not connected, no one's learning anything because no one's fully regulated. Once that you're connected, so you can co-regulate and then you can bring the cognitive brain online to do some teaching or learning. For more information, go to freshstartfamilyonline.com. Thanks for listening, families. Have a great day. For links and more information about everything we talked about in today's episode, head to freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash 109. And if you haven't yet, make sure you grab our free guide to raising strong-willed kids with integrity at freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash strong-willed kids. All right, listeners, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it for you. As we wrap up here, don't forget to DM me the word shift or head to freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash discipline to grab your free discipline quick start learning bundle. You'll get immediate access to download our extensive learning guide where I'll share five ways you can ditch the old school hand-me-down punishment mindset beliefs and thoughts that are causing you to react like a volcano instead of respond like the firm 
kind, respectful teacher you are at your core. And then you'll also get immediate access to my on-demand workshop where I'll teach you our three core Fresh Start family strategies that make up a strong, compassionate, disciplined toolkit, as well as my favorite logical consequences that not only work with kids of all ages, but do wonders to unite you with your child and strengthen your relationship, even in your kids' worst moments. So pop on over to Instagram right now and just shoot me a DM with the word shift and I'll send you a personal link to download that bundle right away. Or you can head to freshstartfamilyonline.com forward slash discipline to get access immediately. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you inside that free bundle and also inside the next episode.